You are listening to Quality Time, a podcast designed to support Nebraskan providers through their journey with Step Up to Quality. I am your host, Colleen Schmidt. Get ready to listen as we prepare to elevate each other as we step up to quality. Welcome back, listeners. Today, our guest is Carrie Gottschalk. Carrie is a licensed mental health therapist who has spent her career working with children, youth, and families. And today, our topic is one of my most favorite things to talk about. (laughs) We're going to discuss again, compassion fatigue, burnout, and self-care. So Carrie, welcome. Thanks for joining. Let's just jump in. Can you define for our listeners, how would you define self-care? Let's start there. What is self-care and maybe what is not? Okay. Okay. So first I need to say that I have listened to the self-care episode um, with Dr. Hatton from last season. I've actually listened to it several times. Mm -hmm. I have such respect for her, both as a colleague and a friend. And Mm -hmm. so I definitely want to recommend um, listeners, if you haven't caught that episode, I highly encourage you to put that on your list and circle back and, um, and go ahead and spend time listening to that. Um, now my response to your question. So for me, I like to turn the words around mm-hmm. and sometimes it's a little bit easier and more clear for me to say, um, instead of what is self-care, I can say, what does it mean to care for oneself? Yeah. So that gives us space for pause and maybe even seems a tiny bit more clear. Oh, what does it mean to care for oneself? And so that opens up that door or kind of dives us into that body of water that says, okay, what, what does it mean to care for myself? Oh, I need sleep. I need healthy food. I need relationships. I need enjoyment. Um, What does any human need to be well? Yeah. And you Um, know, when you're talking about care for oneself, I think too, Carrie, it depends. (laughs) Like, variety of factors might influence what that means for me. So I, I agree with you. Like, I like flipping it like that, like that, that makes it a little more grounded and personal. Um, And, you know, I think about my self-care now where I have older children at home, not super old, our baby is seven uh, and a high schooler. But when they were little, little babies, my self-care or care for self was really different. So can you maybe share a little bit? Is that, do you find that to be true? Like, do you feel like it depends on what season in our life we're in? Like, talk about that in regards to self-care. Yeah, I will, you know, I will even take it just a a little bit further by saying that I genuinely believe it's a moment to moment ebb and flow. Um, Some of the kind of concepts we talk about in therapy are this idea of window of tolerance and, and bringing ourselves back into a state of homeostasis. It's this ebb and flow of energy and like highs and lows and dips. And so our system um, or us is always navigating and adjusting. So they're both, it's, it's both the conscious awareness of what we hear and see and experiencing in the moment. But at the same time, it's, it's a very subconscious awareness of what's happening, how our systems are designed to kind of be scanning the in my environment for threat. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's absolutely changes with our age and stage of life, as well as always constant movement of, um, you know, what do I need in this moment? Checking in, being in attunement with myself. What do I need in this moment? Um, one of the kind of examples that I was thinking about in terms of, you know, how do I do that is is being present with caregivers, or I'm sorry, being a, a caregiver in a toddler room, because I know that that we're really speaking to early childhood professionals or people caring for young children. Mm-hmm. And thinking when I'm in a toddler room, I might think, well, I just have to be fully present with the toddlers. Well, yes, absolutely. And they need things from me. They have energy and um, you know, toileting needs, tight, changing diapers, you know, potty training, feeding. And so I might not be able to take care of myself in that moment. I might need to feel like I put that on a shelf and wait until I have a break or wait until I'm outside of work. Um, really, that concept for me is called white knuckling it, which isn't healthy or necessary. Um, and so, you know, being in relationship with myself and attuning is a lifelong process. It's a lifelong practice. And, um, you know, kind of being a reminder that says no one, no one ever spends more time with me than me. Aww. And I'm never going to spend more time with anybody else than me. And so being in relationship with me um, in all the moments and knowing what it means to care for myself is a is a real shift can be a real a different way of thinking about it. Yeah, I love what you said about white knuckling it, especially mm-hmm. in regards to being in the room. I I think that so many listeners can resonate with what you're saying of like feeling like I can't care for myself right now in this moment because the needs of the children are greater and really it can't be a this or that. Like it has to kind of be a little bit of both, right? Like being present. And <laughs> I want to ask you about window of tolerance. You said the phrase window of tolerance. Talk to, yeah. to us about that because uh, I want to hear more about window of tolerance. We all have like our, our and I, I use words like our system. And just what I mean by that is like understanding our own physiology, like how we are create, like how our system works and I know that that's not everyone's happy place to like dive into the science and understand like the the human anatomy or the biology, the physiology, but it's so unbelievably relevant to understanding what I need and then approaching it from a place of non-judgment because we yeah. become very critical of what I think my needs are or how I interact with my needs. We can go deep into thinking about like what are feelings and emotions and how do we, why do we place judgment on these emotion words or these feeling experiences. So window of tolerance is just our own innate system's ability to withstand the ebbs and the flows and the highs and the lows. And when we go too high, we can become incredibly anxious. We can become very agitated. We can become um, activated in a way that is unhealthy for us. We've breached our window of tolerance. When we dip too low, we can have periods of real um, depression and withdraw and disassociation. We've breached our window of tolerance in an unhealthy way on both ends. So attuning and being aware of where and when I get breached <laughs> on yeah. either the high or the low is, is again, it's self-awareness, it's self-attunement. Um, there are practices that people can do to make that a little bit more stretchy where if we have a really narrow one, we might kind of gradually and gently do things to help us become a little bit more tolerant 
So that becomes a little bit more stretchy. Or when we're constantly breaching it, um, mm-hmm. we're we're really not treating ourselves with the kind of, of compassion and care that we deserve. And so we need to kind of, again, have gentle practice to say, why am I so comfortable breaching this? Um, so... Oh my gosh, that helps or not. Yes, that helps. I feel like we should do a whole episode on the window of tolerance because do you want your window to be larger, smaller? Is it like a non-judgment thing with that? Like, is there, it's just about self-regulating and being self-aware enough, right? About that is maybe going to trigger me to not be in that window of tolerance. Very Um, much so. Very much so. Because what brings you joy? What brings me joy? What brings you stress? What brings me stress? It's just so personal. And so just understanding that we have that within all of us, um, attuning to the fact that, yeah, it's a, I'm going to use that word so many times, knowing that that's how we're wired, knowing that that's a part of us without judgment, and then gently interacting with it in a way that says, where's my comfort space? Where mm-hmm. is my comfort space? What is, it goes back to how do I care for myself? What does me taking care of myself mean? Yeah. And I love how you mentioned too, that it really is a little bit about self-love and liking yourself. Like you said, no one is ever going to spend as much (laughs) time with me as me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) We need to have that. I like me kind of self-actualization to make anything self-care. You also mentioned early on that you listened to Dr. Holly's episode from season one. It was one of my most favorite to record just because she's lovely and so smart and just, you know, shared a lot of real examples of what self-care is. But I think in that episode, I even shared a little bit how I do mirror work, which is, and I've been telling everybody about the mirror work for like a solid year now. And I had read a self-help book that was a strategy on kind of healing inner child or really trying to get your brain to talk to yourself in a more kind and intentional way. So I want you to kind of share with us, how does our self-talk impact our emotional hygiene and maybe even how does our self-talk impact what self-care looks like for us? Oh, yeah. yeah I love that. And I did listen to that. And I can't tell you how much I love this. Um, self-talk doesn't just impact our emotional hygiene and our self-care, but it's the conductor. Yeah. It actually controls it. Um so that concept of of um, talking to myself or being in relationship with myself um, begins with how I feel about and how I talk to and with myself. Um, what type what type of regard do I hold myself in? Mm. Um, and so, you know, genuinely, it's it's honestly, we as people can be hearing this right now and and potentially say, Ugh, I don't. I don't know that I like myself that much. (laughs) I don't know that I really have much regard or um, love or honor for myself right now. And that's okay. That's, that's awareness. Um, Awareness without judgment is a, a transition where we become aware of things and it doesn't mean that we have to attach judgment to it. And so being aware that says, Oh yeah, really don't know that I'm really kind of, you know, feeling like I am, I am that much in love with my own self. 
um, that just simply tells you, hey, this is the place I need to start. It's yeah. like kind of being handed a roadmap and it says, you are here. Okay, well, that's that's where I'll begin then. Um, no criticism or judgment about being in that space, It's um, which, which is far more easier said than done. Yeah. I'm guessing... I'm guessing that when you started mirror work, and oh. I think you referenced this, awkward, uncomfortable. Oh, terrible. <laughs> yeah, Awful. For sure, right? <laughs> like I hated it. I've I've like done it. I am consistent. I did it this morning. I mean, I do it every single morning. And the thing that I notice is it became easier. At first, you feel like very fake saying nice things to yourself, even, you know, silently in your head sometimes. Um, but I have a 13 year old daughter at home who told me that she does it. And I was like, that's exactly what I wanted to happen is for you to start doing it at a younger age, because I don't know that we were ever taught necessarily how to accept ourselves without judgment or how to even have good thoughts about ourselves. There's so many different things that can influence that. So when mirror work became part of my routine, I, it was not fun. It felt very uncomfortable. It was, it, I felt like a crazy lady. Like I thought I was nuts. And now it's just so, so much a routine part of my day that I, you know, it's like brushing my teeth. I just do it every day. Um, but I do think that having people hear that it is normal to not feel that great about yourself. Like not everybody is going to wake up and be able to jump right in and start looking at yourself in the mirror first thing in the morning and that it feels yuck. And maybe that's not even your journey with it. I'm not saying mirror work is the only way that you can start to love yourself. Like there's other strategies um, and I'm throwing you a little curveball, Carrie. But what what other ways do you suggest? Like, how do we start improving our self talk? One of the things that I want to um, that I do want to kind of lay the groundwork is how you had very honestly and sincerely said it's not easy. It's it felt uncomfortable. It felt awkward. It it wasn't. And I the analogy I kind of consistently use when people are entering into this kind of a journey. Um, it says, you know what? I love that we're in Nebraska because this this picture in my head works so well. And those of us in rural Nebraska, like we get it when I say ruts in the road. Um, I've tried to use that analogy to people who don't live in more rural areas and they don't understand it the way. <laughs> but you know what? We know what it means to drive in ruts in the road. And we know if we're on a dirt or gravel road, our car just falls into the ruts. And that's where our tires by default want to be. We don't have to work as hard to drive the car because they're in that space. That's the wiring in our brain. Those are the neural networks that we have run over and over and over and over again. And if our self-talk has typically been critical mm -hmm. and judgmental, that's that's okay. It, that's the Those are the ruts that got set through mm -hmm. the time of our life, whatever it just is. So, that, so I'm not going to sit here and judge that. It's just awareness, eh, awareness without judgment. And so then I say, okay, well, if I'm going to create new ruts, if I'm going to create new neural networks, because our brain is kind of lazy and our brain takes mm -hmm. the route of least resistance and it wants to go where it's always been before because those neural network networks are strengthened. It's like super highway stuff. So it just goes there. Well, if I'm going to create new ones, it's a building process. How long do you think it takes to create yeah. new ruts in the road? You know, you have to drive it over and over and over and over again. 
And when you forget, man, two things. First of all, when you when you drive the new ruts, you're holding on tight, you're intentional. Like you had to force yourself to do something every day differently or twice a day differently. Yeah. And it takes intentionality and practice. It takes a little bit more effort. And when you stop and you kind of let go, your car just falls back into the ruts. So again, well, that's all right. I'm going to get back onto where I want the, the new neural pathways to be. So when you're thinking about this journey of saying self-care, I'll bring it back to self-care. And I know we're going to kind of dive into this compassion, fatigue, and burnout space. It really is that kind of gentle awareness that says, I need to know about this. I need to learn about it. I need to understand it because that's how I'm made. That's how humans are made. Mm -hmm. And the better I understand it, the easier I can interact with it. So the analogy of ruts in the road is spot on. And I like what you're saying. Like if I find myself going back to old ruts and if we're talking about self-care and self-talk, that would be like going back to kind of almost self-sabotage talk, like where I'm saying not nice things in my head all day long about me, not about other people, about myself. I can just have a little bit of awareness and say, oops, <laughs> Wrong ruts. I'm going to jump back over onto this part of the road now and totally. just move on, you know? Absolutely. And I love when I've asked other people genuinely, you said, what are other ways to kind of improve your self-talk? And I've asked other people before, you know, when when they're struggling with like how I feel about myself in this space. And and if I ask, you know, what do you what do you think you need? What do you think you need? Oftentimes people say, I don't know. Right. And then, and then I love saying, well, what if you did know? <laughs> and then they think, then they pause and they think, okay, what if I did know? And almost always people are able to say, I probably need to spend more time with me. Oh. I probably need to spend more time with me. It's like we intuitively know that in some weird deep space, like, yeah, I probably do need to kind of spend more time with me mm -hmm. in order for me to get to know me or be me or, and then, so how will that impact my self-talk? Well, yeah, it's kind of this chicken and egg. I can, I can <laughs> say self-talk to help infiltrate and I can say it even though it feels awkward and, or I can, I can spend more time with me that helps to soften the bridge to how I talk to myself and, and about myself. And a couple I of think, ideas. I think that's so true. You know, I've, and this is kind of a silly example, but just over the last few years, I now feel comfortable to go. If I'm traveling for work or something, I will go sit in a restaurant alone with just me and just really enjoy my own company. <laughs> Not be on my phone, not have to have a friend with me like that. But it took a long time to kind of get there. And when you're you're mentioning, you know, reflecting on what do you need? What is going to make you feel a little more like you're in the window of tolerance? Like what, it, what mm -hmm. is it that you need? Something that I have reflected on over the last few years, too, is kind of this sense of boundaries. Like no is a good sentence setting major boundaries with social media trying to be a little bit more intentional with work life slash mom balance how can boundaries impact our sense of self 
or self-care and why does that matter? And then also talk to us about FOMO. (laughs) (laughs) You're missing out FOMO. Right, right. Oh my goodness. You know, um, so I I might go on a little bit of of a soapbox here, just a tiny bit, but um, thinking about the idea that I am practicing what do I need to be okay, like self-care, caring for oneself, it it puts me in this fascinating position to be the, um, to feeling as if I'm worthy of care. And mm-hmm. so I'm holding in one hand, I'm my own caretaker. Yeah. And then in the other hand, I am um, also the person who is um, providing kind of this set of boundaries or accountability to what is and is not good for me. Kind of this strange, both like, I need to take care of myself and I need to take care of myself and hold myself accountable in a way that is appropriate. So I think about circle security parenting for those Mm -hmm. listeners who have ever heard of that program. Amazing, amazing, amazing program. If you haven't heard of it, Um, And I love their phrase. um, It reminds me of the idea of bigger, stronger, wiser, kind. And whenever possible, follow the child's need. Keyword there, follow the child's need, not want. And when necessary, take charge. So if I am providing that for myself, I'm, I'm my own bigger, stronger, wiser, kind. And I'm whenever possible following my need. But when necessary, taking charge. So there's my boundaries. And Mm -hmm. so that does apply to myself genuinely as a dance of saying what is healthy for me. So if I think about why is no hard? Yeah. Oh oh my goodness. Why is no hard? Why is the word no hard? It could be so many different reasons. It could be fear of rejection from the other person, fear of disappointment that the other person is sad that you didn't fulfill something, the love that we get of being helpful. And so we say yes, because it fulfills us. And that means that's a whole complex. Um, Why do I engage in social media? What's the relationship I want to have with social media? You know, why do I use it? And, And what is it giving me? What is it taking from me? Um, I love, uh, honestly, this whole idea, um, of, you know, what does it mean to have work-life balance and how does that look for different people? Side note, I myself don't even use that term anymore. It's just doing life. Doing life. <laughs> it's doing life. It's di- there's no work-life balance. And I don't mean that in an icky, ugly way. Yeah. I just mean we're doing life period. Um, And so Holly did a really nice job of kind of talking about self-care is not just a me issue and boundaries and self-advocacy fits really well and how she opened up that. So I don't want to be repetitive or I just want to, again, take people back to that episode to say, yeah, self-care is not just on our shoulders alone, Yeah, but how I care for myself is genuinely saying how do I care for me and what am I willing and not willing to tolerate and what and why am I saying yes and no to things? So I do, I'm, I'm my own caretaker in that sense. I love that. Like the why behind all of those things, like the why do we say yes when we really would rather say no? The idea, I don't remember if we talked about it in Holly's episode, but the idea of Nebraska nice or 
You know what I mean? Midwestern nice. We're so nice. We're all so nice. Everyone says yes, <laughs> even though we want to say no and set a boundary. Um, but I just resonate so much with what you're saying. Also, I want to talk a teeny bit about doing life. I love mm. that because I think balance is a weird concept to try and strive for because it's different every day. It then adds this pressure on me, like I'm not doing it right. But I like what you're saying about I'm just doing life. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's back to the idea of homeostasis. There's fun days and not fun days and there's stress and there's not stress. And there's, I mean, it's, it, it's all just life. <laughs> yeah. This is the human experience, right? This is the human experience. Yes, I love that. Uh, I want you to talk to us about FOMO. What is FOMO? Fear of missing? Mm. How does that kind of, how how does that impact maybe how we feel about ourselves and or self-care? I will combat FOMO with the... um, the tagline, the phrase, the mantra, whatever comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. And so um, we can live in a world where we are constantly um, living in a, in a space outside of where we are. Um, what are they doing? They look like they're, they're having more fun. She looks like she's more successful. They look like that's running better. Um, that is comparison is a thief of joy and we can live our lives there a hundred percent. Um Instead of turning inward and and you know um, being grateful and present for what I'm experiencing, yeah, and it's so easy to get swept up into that. And you know, nothing on social media is as appears. <laughs> it really, that is a weird. That is part of my why of setting a boundary with that. Is I was getting wrapped up into comparison, you know, and really being like, gosh, that's not what it feels like at my house when in reality, I don't know anything about the picture that is being displayed. And, you know, also not my job. Like I, I like what you're saying. It's the comparison is the thief of joy. I feel like I need to put that on a sticky note somewhere in my office, Carrie. (laughs) We, we genuinely always only know the version of everyone else that they're willing to share with us. And that includes our own children, our own partners, that includes our coworkers. That includes, I mean, we, we choose what we share with others. They choose what they share and put out there with us. And so we can never, ever, ever, ever assume that we have or see the full story or the whole picture. Yeah. And it shouldn't really matter. Like it shouldn't, that shouldn't be a part of, you know, that shouldn't be a part of my why. So I want to switch, I want to switch gears a little bit and I want you to kind of dive in a little bit to talk about compassion, fatigue, and burnout. Tell us what those two terms are and maybe how they are different from each other or how they kind of lend themselves to each other. So compassion, fatigue, and burnout, what does that mean? Um, so so thinking about it very much from like a, a both a clinical and a physiological lens in the sense that we are hardwired human beings, like we talked about the human condition, human beings are hardwired to be in relationship, which is a, a beautiful, magical thing. We are, are not isolated or solitary beings. We are, are absolutely 100% hardwired to be in relationship with others. Um, and in fact, there's this other, like Dr. Henry Cloud, I'm pretty sure I'm giving him 
the, I'm appropriately assigning credit to him. Um, but we're hardwired for two things, being with others and doing things. Um, mm-hmm. And we are, we can simplify who we are as a species to say, we're driven to be in connection and community with other people. And we're driven to get stuff done, to do things. Um, and so we have these, these base needs. So compassion fatigue is the very, very real sense that when we are in relationship with other people, it creates bonds and connects us emotionally, which it's supposed to. And it produces internal physical reactions and responses within us. It's supposed to. That's all a part of that attachment process. Mm-hmm. So one of the like simple examples is if somebody cries, and I'll start with the example of like when a child cries, we feel And we can feel all sorts of things when a child cries. We can feel heartache or heartbreak. We can feel frustration and irritation. Mm -hmm. And so we feel when they feel, when we, and I can also say, let's say it's an adult. Like right now, if you and I were, you know, we're chatting and I bring up something really impactful or or hard for me and I start crying, Mm -hmm. you're, you're going to feel because I'm crying, you're going to have an emotional, a visceral emotional response to my crying right now. And and therefore you're gonna feel something. And so when that happens, because when they feel, we feel, it can be, um, it can lend itself to us holding that mm-hmm. energy within us because what we do, going back to white knuckling it, is we we white knuckle in the moment. I either need to be a professional here or I need to stay in the moment. I need to not let their distress overtake me in my distress. I need to, you know, whatever we're doing, we're just balancing. Typically, we're white knuckling. And so what happens with compassion fatigue is we go into this caregiver concern for others mode and we're giving, 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 which is great and it's doable. It's just we're holding all of that internal energy, that kind of secondary energy Hence the white knuckling it. And that's not healthy. And when we do that moment after moment, experience after experience, day after day, um, it leads to burnout. It it crashes our system. I think it's so important when we're talking about that. Like I feel like our listeners can really resonate with what you're saying about compassion fatigue and how we take on all of those feelings or emotions for the children in your care, for the families in your care, for your coworkers, if there are multiple adults in your setting, and how that can let that can lead to these feelings of like, I'm now really burnt out. Like I'm feeling pretty fried. So I guess what do we do? Like how do we start setting limits? So that we aren't kind of like taking all of our empathy for others and taking on those feelings and then carrying it with us and feeling like we have the weight of the world on our shoulders when we work in early childhood. Like what, what do you do about it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually a very, um, it's a very physical um, shift it's fascinating enough because our system on that subconscious level has been activated and we can be unaware that it's been activated because it happens on a subconscious genuinely. Like I, I'm, 
I'm not doing the science justice by just speaking about it, you know, so like casually, but it's like our system gets activated and it stays in activation mode. We call that um, sympathetic activation, Uh part of our, our autonomic nervous system. And that system gets activated and we hold, and I wish that we were video because I'm clenching my muscles and white knuckling it, but we don't even know what's happening because it happens on a subconscious level. And so knowing like I'm tensing and I'm tensing all my muscles while I'm doing, 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 it could be so nuanced, so little that I don't even know it's occurring. So how do I undo that? Fascinating enough, I use, we use awareness, education and awareness, and then something called mindful self-regulation, where I become attuned to my body activating. And so like the fancy word would be parasympathetic recovery, because I want to get myself out of sympathetic activation and back into parasympathetic place. Homeostasis, it's the roller coaster, the ups and downs, the ups and downs. And so I want to attune and check in with myself. And we start to create this practice where we can be in a, I'm going to, this is going to sound kind of silly, in a soft muscled body yeah, with regulated breathing in the middle of something distressful happening. And so it's how any caregiver, first responder, hospice, nurse, EMT, like all of us, police, everybody who's really putting themselves in a position of constantly have to be on high alert and showing care and compassion for other people. How can I be in that space and Mm -hmm. not suffer? Genuinely, how can I be there and not suffer? And so um, it sounds simple when I say it like this. Um, it's caring for my physical experience in the moment by utilizing mindful self-regulation practices. I soften the muscles in my body and I regulate my breathing. Man, I need that in my life. <laughs> yeah, it sounds too simple. It's not, I mean, I get it. Simple's not easy, but yeah. yeah. It just, when you talk about it like that, I mean, I think everyone listening can be like, yes, like white knuckling it when I'm in a time of stress. For example, if when I was a classroom teacher, if uh, I felt like things were out of control in the room or if it was chaotic, my heart starts beating faster. I can feel like in my face would tense up, like my whole body, like the, I've never really thought about the science behind it. And tell me the word again, it was sympathetic activation. That's the fancy word for that. Yes. And then the balance, the, the kind of the antidote is parasympathetic recovery. Oh gosh. I yeah, need right. <laughs> That's what I feel like I'm looking, you know, I'm looking for strategies and listeners, if you are wanting more actual clear-cut strategies on like how do we start regulating our bodies when we're in these tense moments so we aren't feeling, you know, compassion fatigue. Uh, an episode that aired this season discussed the uh, chime training. And that is really a specific training through Nebraska Extension that has uh, been built with intention to kind of give you some tools in your toolbox. Is that correct, Carrie, in saying that? Absolutely beautiful connection. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I just think there's a lot of things to kind of unpack when we're thinking about (laughs) compassion fatigue. And I want to just briefly talk a little bit about, you know, something that lights our workforce up 
is community care. Like taking care of others is their solid why. Like that's why we are early childhood peoples. Like that's that's what drove so many here. So how do we make sure that we aren't really letting community care, like taking care of others, turn into that compassion fatigue? Um, yeah, it, you're right. It's like, if this is my passion, if my passion is being in a room of toddlers or providing home-based care or, or being a caregiver, how can I continue to stay in that space and keep myself healthy? And so I I would encourage very much is noticing how my body, and you just said it, am I clenching my jaw? Is my heart racing? Is, is, um, are, am I clenching my fists? Do I have, you know, butterflies in my stomach? All of those are our subconscious, like our activation symptoms that say, Hey, 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 I'm, I'm activated. I'm stressed. I'm anxious or whatever word we want to call it. And so then it does become my in the moment strategies are very much intentional, what I can say is progressive muscle relaxation or body scan. And so I do a quick body scan. If I'm clenching my jaw, I stop clenching. If my shoulders are at my ears, I drop my shoulders. Yeah. If my heart is racing, I put my hand on my chest and I start purposefully slowing my breathing to just kind of help give my heart that soft comfort um, to be like, hey, it's okay. You know, it's stressful, but it's okay. There's the self-talk. Um, there's some elements of self-compassion, self-talk kind of, you know, around in there. Yeah, this is a moment of stress. I got babies screaming. I've got a parent angry. I've got a coworker who didn't show up. Yeah. yeah that's and then and I know Holly touched on self-compassion as well, but in that exact moment, I take care of my physical experience first. And I tune in to where my physical body is hurting to soften and bring care and comfort because that brings me back into the state that my body needs to be in, in order to be able to be present in that moment without white knuckling. it. And, you know, I feel like I am pretty good at being kind to myself after the white knuckle moments and regulating, <laughs> but it's the physical part of it. When I'm in those big moments of stress, like being in a classroom with children and feeling like I'm, um, don't know what to do with challenging behaviors or I have to confront a parent and I don't like confrontation. You know, it's, I love what you're saying about really thinking about the physical experience you're having and how do I get myself regulated in the moment and not necessarily after the moment. Ooh. Yeah. That's well, and, and so kind of keeping in mind, I can't, I shouldn't, huh, how do I say this? Um, don't talk yourself out of how you feel, feel yourself out. Ooh. So if it's a feeling, if it's a physical you know, anxiety feeling, I, I get out of my head and don't talk myself out of how I feel, but feel my way out of how I feel. Ugh. And then that goes back to kind of what you said at the beginning, like really just being okay with feelings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a whole nother episode. <laughs> like it's okay to feel frustrated, to feel scared. Uh, but yeah. Oh, Carrie, this has been so amazing. I want to know what you do 
for your own self-care? Like what I know it looks different for everyone. We've been trying to share on this season a few strategies that our guests actually use. And we've heard some creative ones and some ones that you would just be like, yeah, that's for me, it's walking. I am like, that is how I recharge. That's what it looks like. And I know that's kind of a generic one, but what do you use for a few strategies to help boost your emotional hygiene? Um, Probably just about everything that I have shared during this last four minutes. I so do. You breathe. <laughs> I practice. I actively practice. Um, actively, actively practice. Yeah, I practice. I, you know, so there's some um, guided meditation. There's some mindfulness time. There's walking in nature. There's being with people that fill me up and bring me joy. Yeah. Um, there's stretching. There's attuning to my body. There's progressive. I mean, like, and they're little peppery things. It's not I set aside an hour or yes. there's judgment. I didn't make it to the gym today. But it's these itty bitty tiny little micro moments, these micro practices just sprinkled throughout my day because I'm doing life. (laughs) I love that. We're all doing life. So you heard Carrie (laughs) say it's okay to do life with micro moments. And I hope you hear me say that we want you to be thinking about how you talk to yourself and really try to be mindful of your self-talk that you have going on. So, oh, Carrie, this was so wonderful. I appreciate you being here and sharing your expertise. This was a fun one. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you everyone for spending quality time with us. Please join again as we chat about future topics to support our Nebraskan providers on their journeys with Step Up Quality. Until next time, bye-bye.